Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 4 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all, sharing expert tips from the best in the burnout field, sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes with my own expertise and some fun research now that I'm a student again, plus sharing actionable steps to help you end burnout starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and you need personalized guidance, you can book a free breakthrough burnout call with me. You'll find the link bit.ly backslash call Kate in the show notes. Also, if you love fried and want to be part of our community, we'd love to have you. Just head over to Facebook and type in fried the burnout podcast discussion and click to join our group. It's a place for continued healing, deeper conversations and connections with people who just get it. And now for this week's episode. Hello, Fried fans. I'm so excited today. We are going to spread our wings slightly here at Fried today because my work is so often centered on the individual, even though I'm well aware of the organizational issues that play into burnout. We haven't talked too much about how to address those organizational issues. So after today's guest shares her burnout story, we're going to jump into that a little bit more. And I'm so excited to get that going. We're also, we also have some episodes coming up in the beginning of the new year on the same topic to give people a little bit more hope and a little bit more information about what companies are actually doing to make things better. And they are trying some of them. So you know, just keep that in mind. Not all of them, but some of them are trying. So today I'm going to chat with Erica First, who is the founder of Mood Ally, providing mood management solutions for the workplace. Don't you love that mood management? I just love the way that sounds. After having suffered a stress-related vision loss burnout incident in 2015 that forced her to leave her role as global advertising media and digital director at Ray-Ban, Erica returned to school to study the effects of stress on the mind, body, and brain. So we have that in common, which I love. She completed a postgrad program in the neuroscience of mental health and a master of science in organizational psychology. Mood Ally's product offering includes employee training, guest speaking, and a proprietary app to help employees shift their mood in real time to improve their well-being and performance. Erica, welcome Hello. to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. So why don't we start as we always do on Find the Burnout podcast with your burnout story. Take the stage, take as much time and space as you need. I have been um, accused of interrupting occasionally, and I will not promise you that I won't. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I live in Italy. I'm used to it. So <laughs> feel, feel free. Okay, good. Um, okay. So my burnout story. Uh it all started when, um, the truth is, and this is one of the things that I like to stress the most, because I think sometimes we can confuse burnout stories. I loved my job, loved it. Like perhaps I loved it too much, which is the problem. Um, but I loved my job and I loved the people that I was working with. I loved the people that I was working for. I loved what I was doing. There was nothing about my job that was bad. Um, and if there were a couple of things like, you know, the stars lined up in a way that it was time to change path, but if that hadn't happened, I would still be there. Um, so it's not always 
you work for a terrible boss, you're in a toxic environment. Um, it, it can happen without you having any idea uh, that it's on its way. Um, so I just want to preface that because, um, you know, it's some, it's one of the rare things I think in, in burnout, we do hear a lot of like, my boss was terrible. The, the place is terrible. I hated my job, et cetera, et cetera, which are obvious emotional labor things that cause us to, to, die down. Mine came out of nowhere. And actually what happened was out of nowhere, yes or no. I had kind of been like, I I turned 40 shortly before. And as is want for middle age, I was re-questioning a lot of things. Uh, my daughter was about to be an adolescent. And I remembered that I got into a lot of trouble around that age because I didn't have eyes on me, you know, so um, sort of typical Gen X latchkey kid from New York City. Mm -hmm. um, so it was important for me not to be like a hounding mother, but just, you know, to see what's going on. Um, and I also kind of realized that because I loved my job so much, the only friends I had were work-related. Mm -hmm. um, and I had been divorced for 10 years. There was absolutely no possibility to even consider having another relationship between my work and my daughter. There just wasn't time. And then forget about self-care. That was not an option, inexistent, like literally inexistent. Uh, and I didn't notice the absence of it, to be perfectly honest, because yeah. I thought I was very happy. Um, so I had already started discussing with the people, with my boss, who is a very dear friend of mine, we're still very close friends today, um, how I could shape my role, how it could be different. I wanted to do less hours. I wanted to work on less brands. I wanted to have less reports. Um, and so I was already starting to kind of take care of myself. Uh, and then one morning I woke up and I couldn't see out of my right eye. And <laughs> because I only go to the doctor, like if my arm is like literally like falling out, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I try and put it off as much as possible because I'm like, the body will fix itself. If it's serious, I'll know. Um, and, but I thought that was weird, you know, and I thought maybe it was the sun or something. And I go to this meeting and we're reading legal documents and where I needed to be paying full attention. And I'm sitting there like the whole time covering up my eye and uncovering it. Like, am I really like going blind or is this, you know, what is it? So I start to freak out a little bit. And because everyone on my mother's side passed away from strokes, mm. I was like, I should probably take this mildly seriously. So I start Googling, right? Dr. Google, never a good idea when you're, <laughs> when you're panicked. And, and there's things that it's a pre-ictus and, and, or pre-stroke and, and whatever. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor. I spend the entire day there have numerous tests. Uh, and at the end of the day, they announced that I cannot see out of my right eye. And I was like, Ooh. I knew that already. <laughs> Thank God I didn't go to medical school. <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, yes, I know. And what do we think? And they're like, well, we have to check you into the hospital immediately for tests. Now, um, so this is a funny story. It's kind of indicative of my character, but yeah, I would still do it today. Anyway, I was having a birthday party that night and I had people from all over the world who had literally come because it was like, we had like organized some meetings and stuff around my birth. So 
I did it on purpose when there would be other people around. And I said to the doctor, I was like, uh, could I come tomorrow? Like tonight's really not good, but I can be back tomorrow and I'll check into the hospital tomorrow. And he looked at me like, kind of like I was insane. And I was like, if it's a do or die thing, I'll come tonight. I was like, but if it's no, you know, if I'm not going to die between now and tomorrow, can I come tomorrow? And he said, okay, just go, go get your, uh, cortisone shots and you'll be fine. So, um, that's a whole other story about how the only people you can get to give you cortisone shots on no notice is, um, nurses and nuns in Italy, yeah. but I'll save that for another day. <laughs> um, so I end up in the hospital. They do 10 days of testing. And at this point, like even the people in the testing center are like, why are you still here? And the bottom line was they couldn't find anything wrong with me. There was nothing physiologically wrong with me. Yes, a piece of my optic nerve had burnt out and data was not being processed as quickly as it should be, which I learned after when I went to study neuroscience of mental health, then I actually learned what happened and why it happened, uh, which is actually why I went to school in the first place. So I finally got my answer. Um, but they there was nothing that was wrong with me. So they kept like, upping the level of seriousness of tests. And I had one of those lumbar punctures, which I'd heard of on Dr. House, like mm -hmm. everybody seemed to have a lumbar puncture. So I got one too, and it's the oddest thing ever, yeah. uncomfortable, never have. <laughs> but that was like, no, and that was clean. like, everything was clean. They couldn't find anything. So they, they wouldn't give me any preliminary diagnosis. They released me finally, even though they didn't want to, they wanted to keep testing. Cause they're like, we don't know what it, they thought it was MS, but I didn't respond to any of the other, um, symptoms. And so they kept an eye on me for a while and I was doing like regular cat scans, um, and stuff. And they were like, ultimately we've just concluded that it was stress related that given, given your, uh, your lifestyle and the amount of time you work, that it was probably led to some sort of vitamin deficiency, which led to a problem with the myelin sheath around the optic nerve, which burnt out. And, and here you are. <laughs> and like I literally like, burnt out, like yeah, actually literally, literally burnt out. I had a short circuit and it was funny because when the doctor was explaining it to me, you know, short circuit in my optic nerve, I was very, I was like, oh, okay. And I called the first first and I called when I got out of the hospital was my um, acupuncturist. Cause I was like, she'll know how to fix this. <laughs> and I did, my eyesight came back within three weeks and the doctors yeah. were like, we don't think you could possibly never recover your eyesight. And fortunately I was back in three weeks. So 10 points for acupuncture. Exactly. And it's funny because people are always like, oh, that's kind of like weird stuff. And I was like, it's circuitry. Like we have circuits in our, you know, it's just electrician, yeah. <laughs> an electrician yeah. of the body. It's amazing what acupuncture can do. I'm still amazed by it. I've been doing it for 15 years and I'm still shocked on a regular basis by what acupuncture can do for people. And I've read the studies. Yeah. I know, I know what it can do. I've seen it do such amazing things that you'd think I would think it was normal by now, but you take right. these little metal sticks and you put them in places that are not even necessarily close to what you're treating. Right. And people get better. It's yeah. so wild. It's such a, I'm, I'm so glad that that's part of your story. That's such a cool, um, a cool thing to share, but I have a question. 
yes. question came up. So you said the doctor said that maybe it was this, maybe it was that for the vitamins, the, you know, lack of connection. We're not sure why. And then you went to school and you said you got an answer. So what yes. was the answer? So the answer is that you, we have a protective sheath of fat around some of our um, primary communicative nerves and the optic nerve is one of them. And what happens when that protective layer, much like, and this is a very unattractive image, but it's right, when a mouse eats through the wires or the, the plastic coating around the wires that it starts short circuiting, that's basically the same thing because that, that sheath is meant to allow messages to travel very quickly. And when there's pieces of it missing, eroded, um, then the, it's like a, a skip in the data. So it, it moves slower. And that's what was happening is there was like the, the information that was passing along my optic nerve was traveling much slower and having this sort of like diversion in the middle. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw that, because that, that, that's what happens also in multiple sclerosis, right. That there's the, the myelin sheath that gets damaged in multiple different places in mine. It happened to be the optic nerve. Um, which is hysterical considering you were working for Ray-Ban for a company that provides vision. Yes. I lost my vision working for a company that provides vision. I mean, the just universe is nothing if not a comic. <laughs> <laughs> but this is really serious. Like we're talking about if you were not someone who, for instance, did something like acupuncture, like Western medicine doesn't always believe that myelin sheaths can be repopulated right? On nerves. Right. Like there is a belief that once they're gone, they're gone. Acupuncture doesn't believe that. We learned that in school that we have a little more, a little more control than, than no control at all. But if you were not somebody to use alternative medicines, like you might've lost your eyesight in, in an eye because of stress that you didn't even know you were having because you were liking your job. Right. Yes. Yeah. So up. there there's, I do consider myself to be sort of one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to hate on medicine. No, um, I love medicine. But I I have always been someone who is, I, I like to know all the answers, not just the one answer. So, uh, you know, if, uh, yes, I studied this religion. My parents were born again Christians, but I would also like to know what this religion is about, what this yeah. religion is about. And why do they all have the same foundation story? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's like, I, I like to see what else is being told. Yeah. Um, and so I was open to like when the guy told me and they gave me a whole list of medications to take. Yeah. And I'd already, when I walked out of there after taking uh, one gram of cortisone every day for six, uh, for 10 days, I'd put on six kilos. My face was like hideous. And I just felt Ill, like I, I didn't feel ill when I got there. I just couldn't see. And then when I left, I couldn't see. And I felt ill also. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, I did an enormous detox, like only eating like macrobiotic foods. And, um, until I could feel that the cortisone was out of my body. Yeah. Um, but I was, as soon as he said the word short circuit, I was like, it's cool. I know what to do because, and that's, I mean, you know, the truth is I can't speak to whether the myelin sheath has been reconstructed or not. What I can speak to is that you can redirect right. 
the, the root of the information. And I do know it's funny because I started tracking because it, it would happen again every now and then, mm. like my eyesight would start to flicker. And I noticed it always happened in April, like the first two weeks in April, which I happen to be extremely allergic. So I was, I was just like, gonna say, okay. do you have an allergy? <laughs> yeah. And so I went to a doctor, like, so my eyesight's flickering again. I go into a doctor. I don't even know why. I mean, I think I needed him to write me a script to get another um, CAT scan, but he's like, he wanted to check me into the hospital again. I was like, dude, it's clear. Like it's, we have a pattern now it happens every April. So obviously it's connected to my allergies and, and something like that. Yeah. Which makes so much sense. I mean, of course, I mean, the whole the whole thing is like my immune system is suppressed yeah. and there's an overdose of histamines. There's too much yeah. going on in my body. The extra fluid around sense. the, yeah, I mean, of course. Right. And this is all infected. Right. Exactly. So there's local inflammation and there you go. So now let's take a step back. But the doctor was like, no, you're insane. He was like, you need to just check. <laughs> you need to check into the hospital. I mean, I feel bad that he was an older gentleman, but I was, yeah. and I didn't want to be like sassy because I was studying neuroscience. And yeah. I was like, I definitely know more about this than you do. So I'm going to just thank you for your time and bye. So I want to go back to this idea that you were happy. Yes. Right. That's because this is, (laughs) this is something that is really confusing for people often. Yes. Uh, Very often. So I work mostly with female entrepreneurs as coaching clients and very often they're like, but I have this very successful business. Like I'm not over, I'm not really overworking. Like, I feel like everything's okay. Don't understand why this is happening to me. So what do you think happened with the stress? What was it overwork? Was it under care? Was it what the heck was going on? If it wasn't that you were miserable, then what was happening for you? I think I had sort of a perfect storm Mm -hmm. of situations. Um, and I think one of the things that's probably most misunderstood about burnout is that it's the assumption is that it's like a psychological breakdown. Right. And that can be one of the ways that it manifests, but that it is a physiological issue. Yeah. Um, and, and so there is your body who literally just cannot keep up with certain rhythms anymore. Perhaps you're not sleeping properly. I was also one of those people who was like, working 16 hour a day. You could call me at any hour of the day. I would respond. Um, I, I never took a day off. And in order to sort of calm down, I would have to go out and like stay out all night. Yeah. Stay out all night with my friends and then sleep, sleep all day, like one Sunday every month, just like sleep. Um, you know, which is literally the opposite of health. My daughter was at her husband's. I just want to put that out there at her father's for social at my ex-husband's. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If she had a husband at that age, that would be a little, Oh, did I say at her husband's? No, sorry. That was psychological, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, and I think it's important to say like, so often there are emotional symptoms during burnout, but those emotional symptoms are also based on physiological issues. 
Yes. And, and also ignored because oh, I was also one of those people who um, I wouldn't say at that point in my life, I was at a high level of uh, emotional intelligence. Right. I'm one of those people who has always been extremely attuned to other people's feelings and other people's moods, which mm-hmm. they say is a trauma response from yeah. childhood. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and I a never burnout knew- risk factor. Right. Perfect. Um, and I, but I never knew how I was feeling. Um, so I wasn't tuned into my own body. I wasn't tuned into what I needed. And even if I was like the days when I was like, I'm too tired, I'd be like, just get up, like go do it anyway. And one of the first things I did in that period after, um, you know, like I left my job and that's a whole other ball of wax, but one of the first things that I learned to do was to acknowledge what I needed and not feel guilty about giving it to me. So if I was like, I don't feel like getting out of bed today, not in a depressed, like I can't face the world way, but I just like, I don't really feel like getting out of bed. Once upon a time, I've been like, no, you have to get up and you got to do this and you got to do this. And I started to learn that like, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to get out of bed today. I'm going to watch Netflix today and we'll see what happens. Like, we'll see if the world crumbles and it never did. It's shocking that it doesn't though, isn't it? You're like, but I thought I was holding it up and the world is like, yeah, but you weren't. And you're like, but I'm more important than that. Right. And the world is like, "Mm." exactly. Yeah. There's definitely some (laughs) ego worked into there as well. For me, it was a huge amount of ego work, which is really confusing because I had a very similar situation to you where I was so in tune to everybody else's needs that I was abandoning myself emotionally right. and mentally and you know psychologically all the time so I couldn't meet my own needs wants desires preferences because I had no idea what they were because I wasn't fucking right. paying attention and at the same time it was arrogant and egotistical because I was like I'm so in tune with other people that I was making loads of assumptions about what other people needed and like I was yes. wrong a lot <laughs> Yes. Or just also like, no, they need me. Like they won't be able to do it if I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yes. Which is all part of the whole toxic productivity thing, which I talk about frequently these days. It seems to be a hot topic. It is a hot topic (laughs) right now, but it's important. So you went through this whole process. You started learning how to hear what your body was saying, not only hear, but also listen and yes. attend to and respond are, yes. and respond to, right. Because those are, those are various stages, I believe. Yes. And you left your job during that time. I did. Yes. And then what? Well, that's a great, <laughs> then what? <laughs> um, because you're not prepared. I wasn't prepared for it. Right. Uh, and I did have, <sighs> I would say it's probably as close to a depressive episode that I could ever get. I'm not someone who's naturally depressive Depressive. by nature. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say that's probably the closest that I've gotten where it's like all of a sudden I kind of felt like I was in a bell jar because Mm -hmm. there was just so much silence all Mm -hmm. of a sudden from going from 500 emails a day, from being on a plane every single week to uh, the chaos of 50 people asking you questions all day long uh, to nothing. 
like yeah. literally nothing. Yeah. Um, and no one needs you. No one's looking for you. No one needs to give you this update or wants your opinion or what do you think about this? You've got nowhere to go. There's no flights plans. Like what do, and when you've done that for 10 years and it's yeah. such an integral part of your identity, who are you when the title goes away, when the employees go away, when the money goes away, you know, and it was, um, this very, very strange time for me to get used to not being needed all the time, or not just like not being stimulated all mm. day long. Um, and so I decided to renovate an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> of course, such a reasonable was- response, Erica. I was like, uh, you know, I'm going to take some time off, enjoy. I'm going to renovate an apartment, um, which I'd actually never done because everything like my apartment that I live in in the city was like I bought it new. Um, but we had just me and my ex-husband actually as divorcees had bought an apartment at the beach to leave to our daughter, obviously. Um, and it had to be redone. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. And that was man, I'm, I missed working. (laughs) That was insane, but, but I did it. And at least I think that actually saved me a little bit. Mm. Now there is a teeny bit of irony in here because, um, the ending up in the hospital for 10 days became the trauma in between the trauma Mm. of leaving my company. So when I looked back on that period, and I actually think, and this is an insane thing to say, I think it would have been harder for me emotionally if I hadn't ended up in the hospital in in the middle. You would have never left, I don't think. No, for sure not. And, And I mean, ultimately after I left, there was a change in management and then everyone started leaving. Cause even when I was like, maybe I should go back, you know? Uh, yeah, it was like the town had burnt down. There was nothing to go back to. Right. Um, and, and, but looking at things in retrospect, I was like, that was worse than the thought of leaving this. So that kind of helped me deal with that emotional detachment, but it was very, very hard, especially for, you know, I was like, living the highlight, you know, it's, I wasn't a celebrity at all, but like a corporate you know, manager to go back to like, just feeding my kid every day was, you know, was very bizarre. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not not being important to anyone. Yeah. Well, and like you're saying, like you're, you weren't stimulated all day. Your nervous system wasn't put on fire all day, every day. Like it had been for years and years and years. And when the nervous system needs to feel safety, it goes for the familiar, right? Not always what's actually safe. Right, right, right. Right. Better the devil, you know. Your nervous system often thinks so, yeah, until you train it otherwise. Right. But that's a hard adjustment. It was definitely a detox and it felt like a detox. Yeah. And it felt like every day it got a little bit better. Yeah. um, To the point where I, I, I started consulting and and the thought of like getting on a train to go two hours for a meeting, I was like, oh, yeah, like so far. <laughs> yeah. 
I have, I've flown to Australia for one night, you know, right. and the thought of going two hours on a chain was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Yeah. So I definitely readjusted all of my, there was a recalibration process. Yes. I recalculated everything. Yeah. And then when did, did you get a, a job in between that and Mood Ally or did Mood Ally come out of that time? What? Wow. Okay. How did well, that happen? Sorry. So we do say it's moodily your mood oh. ally. So they're both sorry. right. Don't worry. Sorry My about bad. that. I did not no ask for uh, clarification on that. Normally I would. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> but it, it it is moodily your mood ally. So okay. they're both they're both right. Um so so truth be told, um I had zero intention. And when I say zero, I mean, zero intention of starting a company, Mm -hmm. um, none whatsoever. And if you told me in 2017 that I'd be here now, I would have told you that you are out of your mind. Mm. Um, so, so always keep your mind open to what could happen because you literally never know especially like science, like for me to now have a degree in science. (laughs) If you talk to anyone who knew me in high school or university, they'd be like, what? Like, no, wrong, wrong woman, definitely wrong woman. Um, But it happened. It was one of those things that like dominoes, like I, I read somewhere, I don't remember where that, like when you don't know where you're going, you don't have to see the final destination. You, it's like driving at night. You don't have to see the final destination. You just have to see enough road in front of you to get you to the next step. And I had no idea where I was. I knew something was going to change. I knew I was going to land somewhere and I knew I wasn't landed yet. Um, but I had no idea what was going to happen. And the only thing I knew I had to do was kind of like follow my instincts, which is what I've always done to when I picked schools, when I picked jobs is like, is, is this something I feel passionate about? Is this something I know I can do well? Um, and that I'm going to be interested in, because if I'm not interested in it, it's, it's dead before I even start. Um, so I had, I had gone to this web summit in Dublin, uh, I think in 2016, maybe 2015, doesn't matter. Um, But I saw this neuroscientist speak and it was like, like literally like my head exploded. I kept looking around the room, like to everybody else, like, are you as amazed as I am? (laughs) They were not. Um, They were waiting for the Samsung presentation, which was right after. Um, But I, it was like, he was, it was like, he was reading my thoughts and Mm. not only reading them, but giving me the answers to so many questions that I'd had about like how the mind works and how perception works and how we live our lives based on very specific thought patterns and and whatever. Um, And it was very interesting. And so we kind of collaborated a little um, because he was kind of working into getting into marketing. Like I had the expertise he needed and he had the information that I needed. Um, and one day I got an announcement on my phone for this 
uh, program, this postgraduate program at King's College for the neuroscience and mental health. And I was like, yes. And it's like, I can do it from home so I can stay home. I don't have to fly to London. Like it was just everything that I needed exactly when I needed it. And I always kind of know now, like when I'm doing the right things, cause they, it's like the impossible is possible. Mm-hmm. So I, I signed up, um, I signed up for the class now in a very sort of typical New Yorker, ex New Yorker fashion, you know, we know like three things and that's it. Like everything is in New York and then everything else is just somewhere else. So I had never heard of King's college, which is, Uh I know, (laughs) I know it's an, it's an aberration to say right now, but I had never heard of King's college. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of thought it was like, I thought it was a great program, but like, you're like university of Phoenix. Meanwhile, it's like King's college. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was just like a school. Yeah. And, um, And so I'm taking like the first course and it's really, really, really hard. And there's like lots of reading, like lots of reading. And so I start Googling like this is I've already started the course. I start Googling King's College and for neuroscience, like for this sector, they are number two behind behind Harvard. And I was like, I was like, it's a good thing I didn't Google beforehand because I wouldn't have signed up for the program. So I take this program, many, many tears shed because at 43 years old, trying to go back to school and learn and learn neuroscience um, without a science background, like I'm doing that now, but it's pretty easy for me because I, I I already know the anatomy. I already know the uh, the terminology. I've been talking about these things for years, so I'm not, I'm not lost, but I did have that thought this week. We're doing it is uh, neurotransmitters. We're covering neurotransmitters this week. Like uh, I, I know everything. In school, yeah. Like I learned that in school <laughs> already. I know this stuff. But I was sitting there thinking, if I didn't know this already, I'm learning. Of course, I'm learning things in it. There's things that I that I'm not aware of, but the all the basics I'm well aware of. And I thought to myself, if I didn't know this. I would be reading this like it was a foreign language, and I speak multiple foreign languages. And I was just like, I would not. I, I don't know that I would be able to do it if I didn't have the science background already. Yes. Um, and Hard. so let me, let me tell you, this is where my ego uh, <laughs> is my friend, because I was like, I am not going to let this school that I've never heard of get the best of me. <laughs> And so even though I had to read like this, the contents four, five times before I even minimally comprehended what was being said, I did it, pushed through. I mean, academic writing is my, I am a great writer. If you give me like, tell me 7,000 words, stream of consciousness, whatever you want. Yeah. 7,000 words academic, it's going to take me six months. And, and I will be cursing at the paper the entire time. Um, <laughs> Anywho, that that is that program. But while I'm taking this class, um, we come across like we start studying stress, right? And the effect that stress has on the body and, and the emotions and everything. And that ultimately where everything ladders up to is your thoughts, that the thoughts are sort of the command center 
for the reactions in your body and that there is a cognitive element to stress that you subconsciously and automatically decide that whatever is coming at you is, is greater than your capacity to handle. Um, and so I always give the example to people like, if I tell you that tomorrow you have to teach a class of 15 four-year-olds on how to draw, that's not going to stimulate your stress response unless, you know, you hate. I toddlers. mean, that would stimulate my stress <laughs> response. That's a horrifying prospect for me. If you, if you don't like being around kids, but in terms of like, am I able to do that? Like yeah. you're quite comfortable with your ability to teach somebody how to color. However, if I tell you that like the CEO of something is coming and he wants to go over, or she wants to go over the the budget numbers, that's like, oh, oh God, I could fail. I could have made a mistake. It could be wrong. Maybe they don't like me. Da, da, da. And so there's all these thoughts that kick in that then cause a whole cascade of issues that we're completely not conscious of. Um, and so one of the things that they were talking about uh, was that if you can change the thought, shift the thought, then that's the off switch to everything that happens here. And I found that to be so fascinating, A, because the Buddhists have been saying it for 5,000 years, and it's so, so lovely that neuroscience has caught up, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, okay, but there's now finally, especially for people who avoid topics like this, because it sounds too woo-woo or too hippie or too whatever, the fact that it is now grounded in demonstrable science is a game changer. And that's what I was always thinking. Cause I did a little bit of like personal coaching in my, in between my things. And I would talk to a lot of people and they were like, that's too spiritual for me. And I was like, okay, how can I rephrase these things? Like take out the spiritual hot buttons and just deliver the usefulness of it without all the kind of like judginess over the language that's being used. And so I was like, with the backing of neuroscience, this is actually something that an audience that's reticent to listen to these things, to these topics, would actually might might be more open to. So this is like where the, my seed gets planted. Um, and then they talk about, oh, so then I start talking about how they test like stress and reactions and how we know the effect that they have on our cognitive processes and stuff like that. And obviously you can't do scientific testing in real life because you'd have to have a team of scientists waiting in the corner for you to be like, okay, I'm stressed now, like hook me up. So they bring you into a clinical setting. They make you go through a mood induction to either put you in a good mood or a bad mood or a sad mood. Uh, they run their tests and then afterwards they put you into another mood induction, neutral mood, you go on your way. And I'm thinking of this mood induction. I said, well, what is this magic potion that like I can come in in a sad mood and you can make me happy. And then my, my responses are all fantastic. When I said, well, if you can do that in a clinical setting, why can't you do it in real life? Let's find out what mood induction is. So I go and I dig and I realize it's creative materials, it's videos, it's images, it's music, it's language. And I was like, this is what I've been winning awards for, for the last 25 years of my <laughs> life. 
And so I get this idea. I sort of triangulate all of my experiences. And I was like, I think I can produce creative materials that can be used to divert and redirect people's thought processes in real time to stop without them knowing anything about stress or having to go through meditation or any of the other crap that they don't want to talk about. Not that it's crap, but I, I get what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, that it could actually be palatable to an audience that wouldn't normally be attracted to tools like this. And so I bring it to, there's a university here in, um, in Milan that specializes in discrete emotions. And I get in touch with one of the women who works there. She's a PhD professor there. And I show her my, my whole spiel. And I was like, here's, here's my thinking. Here's what I think. Here's what I want to do. Am I nuts? And she looks at me, she kind of has this funny reaction, which was like a little rude, but a little not. And she was like, she's like, it's so simple. And yet no one's ever thought of it before. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always and the best ideas. The scientists can never give it to you as one, you know, but yeah. that's fine. Um, so I was like, so it's a good idea. And she's like, it's a great idea. And I said, okay, I'm going to go do it. So I do. <laughs> I get together a production team. And then, no, actually, that's not true. First, I started with the whole startup shit, like yeah. trying to pitch decks and yeah, DCs yeah. and da da da. da. Um, and that made me this close to burning out again yeah. because A, it was my body saying, like, no. This, that's not what, I don't want to be in that world. I don't want to be around those people. This isn't why we started this. Like I didn't want to go out and be like Mark Zuckerberg. I wanted right. to just have like a positive impact on a very specific community. And I spent my days talking about money and cap sheets and co-founders and blah, 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 and 10Xing and whatever. And I was like, no. So First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to bootstrap this and just pay for it by myself because that way I can at least guarantee that it gets done properly. Because since there is like a whole scientific backbone to it, the investors were already like, oh, and then we can do this, and then we can do this, then we can do this. You know, it's like the classic kind of show when you see like in the movies when the guy pays for the movie, he has to put in his like girl, his hot girlfriend in the lead role kind of thing. So they were all like, oh, and I have this idea for this and this idea for that. And I was like, but it has to be done according to scientific parameters or it's pointless. It's just, you know, us yeah. making movies. You know? yeah. We can do that anyway. Or like I'll, at that point, I'll just download YouTube. Um, so I said, I'm going to make it by myself and do it the way I know it needs to be done. And then we'll take it from there. So I make this app which I almost did burn out twice. I, I nearly had a nervous breakdown making the app because having to deal with uh, developers and we'll save that for another episode. But I, my hat is off to anyone, uh, especially who doesn't come from a technical background, who ventures off into that field because it is very hard. It is um, very hard. I've gone down the app hard. route multiple times and not finished one yet. Yeah. And you just come across so many, unfortunately, stereotypical characters. Um, 
And there's so many, I mean, I guess this is anywhere. There's just so many not nice people along the way and you have to watch your back all the time. I got screwed over by multiple people who were friends of friends, you know, and that was my thing. I was like, at least if I'm working with a friend of a friend, like there's a trust thing there. No, there's no trust anywhere. So it's very, it's like the wild west out there. Um, So good luck to anyone who wants to venture out into that. Um, I finished this app and I don't know what to do with it. And, uh, (laughs) and again, it's like my, I'm looking at my choices and the people that I'm talking to who want to treat it as an app are like, have a very specific timeline. It needs to be now. It needs to be fast. It needs to get out this. It needs to get out that. And I was like, I don't want to move slow, but I also don't like, I don't necessarily think this fail fast thing is a good thing because I think if you think twice before you do it, you can actually avoid the failure. Um, And I won't get a second chance to do this right. So I have to get it right the first time. And if that's the case, then I need to think it through properly and move at my own pace that I'm comfortable with. So I continue to operate alone and I said, all right, fine. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach because it, it takes on value when you understand the rest of it. Otherwise it's just like, if you look at it and you don't know anything about it, it's just an app with content on it. And the content works because everyone that, that uses it comes back to me and is like, I was really surprised. There's a lot of skepticism around it. I was really surprised, but it works. And I'll be honest, the first time I used it too, I mean, I was confident in the theory, but like, you know, there's that first time you use it like, (laughs) so I had one of those like in life things. I had a meeting that was coming up. I was very nervous about it. And I was starting to get like really agitated. And I was like, Ooh, let me try. (laughs) (laughs) Let me try my own little app over here. (laughs) Let me try my app. And I remember texting my daughter and I was like, Oh my God, it really, really works. And she was like, maybe don't say that. (laughs) You're so surprised. (laughs) But I, you know, there yeah, you go yes. from, the, from the horse's mouth. Um, so yeah, so I added on kind of like speaking in person, coming in to do lectures or keynote speaking or teach classes. Um, and the feedback I get from everybody, the sa- I hear the same word every single time I do a speech is that it's fascinating mm-hmm. because none of what I'm saying, anyone has any idea about like And it's such integral stuff that like your mood affects your entire day on top of everything that you know, like your productivity hacks or your diet hacks or this hack. If your mood's in the wrong space, everything that comes after is tainted. Um, So once people learn this, they're like, oh my God, like I need to start paying attention to this more often. So that's the very long version of how I got here. (laughs) I love it. So now you're still in that same space where you're doing keynotes and you're going into companies and you're teaching this stuff. And then. Yes. Well, technically I have it like November, 2021 is my one year anniversary. Ah, Uh, Yeah. So we're, I'm still a baby. Yeah. I like it. Despite. despite... (laughs) You still look like a baby, please. Could be the, the, the filters. Um... (laughs) We love a good filter. We do love a good filter. Love a good filter. Um, So yeah, I've had, I gave myself kind of like a benchmark, like, but you don't reach this within the first year, then 
you actually have to go look for a job because I've been consulting and freelancing for about six years now. And I can't yeah. do that forever. So, um, but I not only met my benchmarks, but I exceeded them. So, cool. and I have nothing but like really good feedback coming in and people are interested and, and the topic is obviously very zeitgeist right now. Yeah, so yeah. Especially right now. So who's your target person? Like who's the person that should reach out to you and be like, this is what we need. Are you looking at HR leaders? Are you looking at C-suite levels? Are you looking at mid-level managers that can bring it to their teams? Like who's, who's the target audience? Well, there's kind of, um, so core, 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 what I'm focusing on right now, which I see is sort of the formula that is most comfortable to companies is coming in as a guest speaker at either one of their marketing events or planning events or customer relations events. Um, I just did a bunch of meetings for an, a giant global bank where I met with all of their relationship managers uh, to talk about how mood impacts not only them and how they show up to their meetings, but also their clients. And if their client is in a bad mood at the end of the meeting, there's science behind this, uh, they can question their loyalty to the relationship. And so, and it was amazing because, you know, when you talk to bankers, like the last kind of group you would think would resonate with this. And they all have reached out to me like so positive, like that was amazing because it's really sort of concrete. Like I said, like there's none of the woo woo about it. It's, but it's like answers to stuff that you were maybe like, should I be feeling this way? What do I do about this? And it turns out, and this is why I kind of love it because it's great for performance. So, I mean, let's be honest, companies do like to take care of their employees, but they love to take care of business. So this isn't like just a well-being tool, because if your person's in the right mood, they perform way better than they would if they're in a bad mood. Um, on top of that, it's also good for them. So it's like, it's perfect for it's everyone win -win. doing one single thing. Yeah, exactly. So I've been, I would say whoever is sort of like the decision maker in terms of who comes to speak in the organization is sort of where I'm focusing my attention right now. Yeah. Um, I've been talking to a lot of like chief innovation officers. Like it's usually, it, I find that the companies who are sort of on the cutting edge of innovation, who are always yeah. looking towards tomorrow are the ones that are most interested. Yeah. Which is the same for my work at the moment. And then is this something also that individual people can download and use? Not at the moment. It's only available through the organization. Yes. Okay. All right. So I just, I know that there's a couple of people that are disappointed right now because they're thinking, I want that right now. So if there's somebody- bring it to your company. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my um, audience is entrepreneurs. So if there's somebody that is listening to this and they're like, okay, well, if I can't get the app, like what's, give me a tip, like just, just give me one action step that I can implement so that I can influence my mood and make myself better overall? What would you say? Okay. Well, it would depend on their mood. And first, if they want it for their organization, they don't have to invite me to speak. They can also just buy the, the membership. Just want to throw that out there. Okay. Um, like you can get it for however many um, employees you have. It's fine. Um, 
it, it depends on the mood that you have, because we kind of have like three different categories. There's one where we need a little bit more um, pleasure, positivity, uh, and another one where we need more um, energy. And then there's another one where we need to feel more power. So, and then kind of- How do you differentiate on- energy and power? Uh, so energy, well, so the, the actual words in science are there. It's funny because they're really kind of sexual. There's pleasure, arousal, and dominance, which are yeah. the three domains of the yeah. emotions, <laughs> Yeah, which is the, the Moravian model from, um, so arousal is like excitation to calmness. Yeah. Uh, uh, dominance is feeling powerful to pe- feeling weak okay. and then pleasure is feels good to feels bad. So that those three combinations there. that makes more sense. Um, yeah. So confidence, like you can be very powerful and have low excitation levels. Right. Um, usually when you have high levels of dominance and high excitation is kind of when we're in a little bit like hysterical so, mode. mania. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mania. So, uh, so I would guess my, my guess, knowing my audience after these past couple of years, my guess is that most people that are listening want the energy portion. Okay. Um, music is the easiest gimme, um, I can give you it's, uh, probably the fastest outside of laughter. It's the fastest technique to shift you into a better mood. Um, and so I always advise everybody to use the free tool on free Spotify and just put together their kick-ass playlist. They're like, don't mess with me playlist, like whatever you need, whenever you need it, the calm me down playlist. Um, and I have some, I actually have some that are free on my Spotify channel if people want. Oh, good. Yes. Please um, send me the link to that so I can share it with people. Cause I know that it will be useful. I will. Yeah. Cause I have one to calm you down. I have one that's like a girl pop edition an indie edition, a classical music edition. So there's lots of different things there. Um, but music is definitely the fastest way. It's the fastest way to get you into any three of those domains, the more okay. powerful or the more, um, or calm down, uh, other things for energy, um, diet really, uh, <laughs> proper diet, uh, is the most fundamental because if you're getting the right kind of sugars and not the bad kind of sugars, uh, the right B vitamins, I was burnt out on B vitamins. So that is a lot of, a lot of burnout um, is missing, especially 12, right? That's a really common. Yeah. That's a really B6 and B12. Yeah. And actually there was a study. uh, I talk about this in one of my presentations. There's a study that they did where actually 20% of the people that presented with symptoms of depression were actually suffering from a vitamin B deficiency. So that is critical. Um, I had my ex-husband who uh, he's, he's like a triathlon, like always exercising, which creates kind of like an overstimulation yeah. of euphoria. And he hurt himself and he couldn't <sighs> exercise for a while. This happened and to he me. felt, I, and I predicted it. I said to him, I was like, be careful. Cause you're going to fall into depression. And he was like, no, mm-hmm. I want to. Yeah, and I then did one too. day he was, yeah, he was here like all like long face. And I just gave him a bottle of vitamin B and I was like, take it every single day. And yeah. he was back. To, he was back to being a jerk in no time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> worked perfectly. <laughs> Erica, this was so great. 
I'm so grateful. I'm so glad that you went back to school. And it's so obvious that no matter what you knew about science earlier, that it's really seeped into your body at this point, that it's really part of you. And it's so nice to be in that energy because it's something that I appreciate so much. I love so much. And it's so, it's so nice to be in that energy with someone. And I so appreciate your knowledge and the work that you've put into this. And thank you. Just simply thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. So where will people find you? What's the best way to find you? If people are like, I need her yesterday. (laughs) Um, You can find me, obviously, my website, moodily.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to have new friends, new contacts. Uh, On Instagram at moodily.wellness, although I'm not as active as I'm supposed to be. (laughs) Um, Or you can just shoot me an email at erica at moodily.com. Awesome. And so all of those will be as per usual in the show notes. And just a reminder to everybody who's listening, wherever you are on the fried spectrum from still burning in the pan to jumping into some cooler water, you deserve all the goodness that is coming to you. All of it, all the goodness that is coming your way as part of recovery belongs to you. Accept it, love it, absorb it, and improve your mood while you're at it. Until next time.